the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching another episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and we are breaking from college across uh, this time because the PLL finally did what I've been chirping them to do. I've been complaining since the advent of the PLL that I had a hard time getting behind it. Uh, not behind it. I, I support it fully, and I'm glad they're doing it. But I was going to have a hard time myself really taking interest because I am not a casual sports fan in the sense that I don't just want to watch sports and not have a dog in the fight. So I'm a regional guy, regional sports guy, football. I'm a Giants fan all the way, diehard Giants fan. I watch every game, never miss a game. My family to a degree on Sundays will plan our Sundays uh, around me being able to watch the Giants and not in a, oh, big baby Ted needs to watch the Giants at the cost of his family. My family's fucking fine. Don't worry about them. Um, it, it's just they appreciate me and I appreciate the fact that they are willing to sacrifice here and there on Sundays for me being able to watch a team uh, just get totally ravaged by everybody because Tommy DeVito is our quarterback. But moral of the story, Giants fan in football, diehard, diehard Syracuse fan in all sports. I watch almost every football game. I watch almost every basketball game, and I do watch, in fact, every Syracuse lacrosse game. Uh, and then baseball, when I was growing up, Yankees fan, Rangers fan, uh, I have a hard time tying myself to a sport without having a team and having some dog in the fight. And then beyond that, I'll watch Monday Night Football when the Giants aren't playing. I'll watch Dallas and Philly play when, when you know, playoff implications are on the line and things of that sort. So I will watch other NFL games, just like I'll watch other college basketball games and things like that. But I'm always kind of watching it through the lens of, oh, man, I hope Duke loses today because that's going to help Syracuse out. Or, you know, I hope Philly loses to Kansas City on Monday night because that's going to help the Giants out. Granted, nothing is going to help the Giants out at this point. But moral of the story, I digress, as I often do. I am now ready to pick my team. They've finally done it. They finally picked regions for every team. Now, they didn't pick cities. They're, they, they're kind of making it sound like they're picking cities, and I think to a degree they are, but I think you can kind of see that they're really going after the regions. Note, there's nothing that's going to change in terms of the touring model, except the home teams will play two games the weekends that they play in their home regions. So that's really the only difference to the touring model. Not a big fan of that, but that it doesn't, I can't complain about that. That doesn't affect me in any manner. I haven't even gone to a PLL game yet simply because I haven't really, there's been a couple we almost went to. We almost went to the championship last year, but it just ends up being by the time summer hits, I've already ignored my family so much during the college across season um, that I, once the summer hits, it's hard for me to say, Hey, let's go do this, you know, for me now, after they've kind of been, you know, chilling, letting me watch college across all day, Saturday, letting me podcast every, every Sunday morning, by the time summer hits, I kind of have to focus on them and do fun things with them. So, but here we go. We've got New York team now. And, uh, as we kind of come down here, I'm already logged in so I can kind of claim my team officially and do it. So you guys all know who the hell I'm picking here. And I'm pleased because my boy here, uh, Jeff T, you know, I, Jeff T is my favorite PLL player at this moment right now. And uh, so I'm actually really happy about that. So I, I'm glad that New York ended up being the Atlas overall. I kind of paid a little bit more attention to the Atlas last season, albeit I didn't want to be any type of homer and a big douchebag and claim my fandom for the Atlas while they're playing really well and everything like that. But if, if I were to say, hey, who did I watch the most of? Who did I pay the most attention to last PLL season? It was the Atlas. So that worked. So yes. The Atlas, Jeff Teat and company, they are now my jam. I am now a fan. So let's kind of see, let's rip through the roster here because I was already doing this a little bit and let's just see what am I getting myself into 
in terms of uh, trying to become an Atlas fan here. Right off the bat, captains, you got the geezers here. Trevor Baptiste, Eric Law, Jake Richard, Tucker Durkin. Makes sense. You go with the geezers to be your captains. That's not a bad group of captains, and Baptiste is just an absolute you know, monster on the field, so that's a good one. And in the locker room. He's just a good all-around guy. I don't think there's anybody in the, in, in the sport of lacrosse that doesn't appreciate Trevor Baptiste, especially since the, uh, that speed boy. That was just one of the most classic things that has ever happened to the sport of lacrosse, one of the most viral things that ever happened in the sport of lacrosse. Now, when you come into the attack, Gray, Law, T, making up the group here. Cockerton, a, a veteran Canadian, uh, you know, can can do everything, but he can finish as well. Now, as we dive into T, not the team's leading scorer, actually. Chris Gray was the team's leading scorer last year, but you've got two of the best young attackmen in the sport playing for this team, along with an absolute killer here in Eric Law, who was, in fact, the team's, what, third leading scorer, I believe? Yeah, in Eric Law. 22 goals, five helpers, no two-point goals because law the law of the land for Eric Law is chill in and around the goal area and uh, just finish at a really high rate. 51% shooting percentage out of Eric Law as he's come down here and you see uh, Chris Gray is at 29% and Jeff Teets at 31%. And that is because Law's shots are primarily, you know what, inside of 10 feet. You know, he'll extend his range a little bit beyond that. And he all these guys can shoot from anywhere. But Law is one of the best in and around the goal that you're going to see. And to put him with Jeff Teat, an incredible feeder, and Chris Gray, who kind of, you know, has the capability of being a 50-50 guy um, whenever he wants to be, that, that just makes for a really good three-man attack unit. So I've kind of been pleased here that that's what we get to see uh, is Chris Gray, Eric Law, and um, Jeff Teat on attack. Now, the midfield... Midfield, if we kind of zoom out here and we look at the midfield here, this is a crazy group of midfielders, and it is an absolute perfect mix of of um, veterans and youth. And even, you know, you call guys like at this point Costabile and uh, Aiken. Aiken has played fewer, I believe, few, uh, a year less in the PLL. We'll look when we get up to their stats than Costabile, but, you know, they're both 26, 25 respectively here. Aiken, a Excellent Dodger. I wouldn't call him a downhill Dodger, although he's very capable of being a downhill Dodger. Can shoot from outside. Not the most accurate of shooters here, at least over the course of his college career. But just an absolute beast of a midfielder. All-American midfielder. One of the best midfielders in college across while he was playing the game at Virginia. Uh, and, and and like I said, he's a an excellent Dodger. Not necessarily a downhill Dodger, but the guy can kind of attack the field from everywhere. He can attack from wings, all of that. You get into a Brian Costabile. Actually, let's uh, real quick. I don't even have – apparently I don't have Doc's Aitken's statistics up here. So let's bring those up real quick. So last, oh yeah, I forgot. I ditched Doc, Doc's Aiken's statistics last year because he didn't play. So no stats last year. So, but anyway, Doc's Aiken is my guy. I, I really high ceiling on him uh, if they can get him on the field, and you can't go wrong. Now Brian Costabile, he is more of your prototypical downhill dodger from the midfield. He'll attack. He'll he'll come downfield. He'll get under his guy. He'll attack from those wings or you know kind of goal line extended even as part of kind of an alley dodge where he where. But that's his strength. His strength sweeping across the top, shooting on the run, um, dodging down the alley, shooting on the run, or just flat out lighting it up from out top. Now, I'm surprised he only had one two-point uh, field goal, 26% shooting, not great volume shooter, but, you know, 14 goals. Uh, what did he get? Five assists on the season. So for a young midfielder, the guy's a beast. The guy's strong. That, that's the strength of both Aiken and Costabile, both very strong and athletic guys. Uh, Aiken, I believe, big football guy. 
So huge, huge to have these two young guys. But then you don't stop with the big, strong midfielders. You end up with the veteran. And this is where they end up with that really good mix of youth and veterans. You end up with Miles. And I, I call at this point Costabile. He's a veteran. But Miles Jones is an aged and a grizzled vet here at this point. Big guy. Big Dodger, a monster shot. No two-point field goals here, but you know, still got a big cannon on him. Uh, Ten points last season, six one-point goals, four helpers, nineteen percent shooting percentage, and you'll see that a lot more in the PLL. A lot of midfielders have some pretty piss-poor shooting percentages overall, but still, big veteran. You can't go wrong having Jones on the roster. We get back into the youth, an attackman that had a lot of experience playing midfield at Virginia in Xander Dixon. He had an incredible season last year for him with a 37% shooting percentage, dodged a little bit more last year. You see that a lot with guys. Dixon was primarily an off-ball attackman at Virginia. Um, but you're seeing him dodge. You see all these young guys coming and dodge a little bit more, but still playing really good in and around the crease, off ball. Dixon is incredible, especially once again, you start teaming him with guys like Gray and T on attack, guys that can just feed the ball all day, and you can start to see how this roster comes together, and it just looks incredible. Uh, so Dixon, I like the youth there as well. Defensive midfield. If we come down here once again and we look at it, we got Camizio had a great uh, a great career at Villanova, Dearth at Syracuse, but Danny Logan, he's the dog uh, from Denver. But they're all young, 24, 25, 26. Uh, young guys here, Jake Richard and Rizanka seems to be on the pup list. I think it's funny that the uh, PLL has a pup list. Didn't really display, display properly, but there's that. So, I mean, if you look at Camizio, seven games played, 15 ground balls. And, I mean, that's what you're going to get out of these guys. Uh, Danny Logan, two cause turnovers, 13 ground balls. Uh, and some points, and then Peter Durth, no points, but 11 ground balls, cost turnover. You know, so, I mean, they they have depth at uh, defensive midfield. You've got youth in the defense with Gavin Adler, 11 caused turnovers last year to 10 GBs in seven games played. But then you got a veteran like Tucker Durkin, 10 games played, three cause turnovers, 10 GBs. So the roster is built uh, with literally the perfect mix of youth and, uh, and uh, what would you call it, um, depth, youth and age, whatever the hell we're talking about here. Of course... Trevor Baptiste, an absolute animal at the faceoff dot here. Uh, what did he put up for points? Seven points, 77% from the faceoff dot, which is just absolutely bonkers. And then you got Jack Concannon in cage. Uh, who, who's the other goalie? Um, Porter. Drake Porter's the other cage, uh, keeper. PLL goalie keepers. You know, Concannon's up there. He plays well. Uh, I believe he is kind of a geezer. Uh, what's his age profile here look like? It doesn't tell us here. I believe he's, what, 33 is what I'm going to guess. Oh, he's 27. Jesus. I just murdered that. Sorry, Jack Concannon. Guy's still in his prime here, and I'm calling him 33. All-star in 2019 and 2022, so that's pretty funny that I'm uh, that bad of a human being that I'm calling him a, a grizzled veteran geezer. But uh, that's that's it. You know, I mean, I'm excited about it. Like I said, the touring model is still here. The only pl- upside here at this point is going to be that the home team will get to play two games. Uh, so I will... I think this has to be the season I finally get my ass out and go see a game here. Um, so I think I'll try to do that wherever they play. You know, they'll probably end up playing in Albany again. They do really well in Albany, and the crowd is always incredible there. Um, so I'll probably get my ass out to a game. Now, in terms of the college game, um, one of the things that I've been working on here the last couple of weeks, and I think I finally just about have it ready for prime time, is I'm working on developing uh, what we would kind of call a, a lax factor score for players uh, where I'm, I'm working on 
taking the statistics that are readily available and available for every player across the board in Division One, and I'm kind of trying to come up with some formulas to weigh the weigh how they did based on those statistics. And I'm just right now I'm just trying to finalize it, and I'm playing with the weights. But if I were to come off screen here real quick, just because I don't want you to see my full data. Two thousand years later. Okay. So how I'm doing this here is I have a bunch of formulas that all play into this. Let me just do one more thing here because that's just what I don't want to give up is I just don't want to show my, my formulas. Copy. We're going to paste special values only. There we go. Okay. We got CJ Kirst at the top. So here's the, the total score as I come in here. And I mean, none, none of this is rocket science right now. I'm just trying to play with the, the data to try to find a way to rank the attackmen right now. Some of the, the I'm going through the list of top like 30 scores in the country that are coming back next year, or at least right now that I believe are coming back next year. And I'm trying to find a way to rank them weighing their statistics in a way that I'm actually pleased with it. So admittedly, I'm kind of trying to game the statistics a little bit in a way that makes sense. So when you look at this list, you're not thinking, what the fuck? Why Why are the numbers so skewed? And then a couple of the, the things I'm trying to come up with here, I'm coming up with what I'm calling a threat score as one of the scores. And what the threat score is supposed to indicate is across all facets of the game, how much do you have to pay attention to this guy? And so this is where I'm pleased. You know, you look at a guy like CJ Kirst, his threat score, higher than everybody else's. And the reason being, and the, the factors that go that play in to that threat score end up being his points per game, uh, his shooting percentages, and not only just the shooting percentage, but the shooting percentage and his on-goal percentage. And then what's the difference between their shooting percentage and their on-goal percentage? Because if they have a low shooting percentage, but their on-goal percentage is still pretty high, that would lead you to believe that there's a lot more saves being made by goalies on their shots that are potentially, you know, a little bit more like turnover like in nature. So that's one of the aspects of the threat score because if a guy has a lower shooting percentage and then uh but a really high uh on goal percentage, you know, that means in terms of you trying to watch them, spot them and all that, you have the potential for them not being as much of a threat as they appear maybe, you know, based on their points and things of that sort. Um then I got the shooting efficiency score, which is what at really goes into trying to calculate that um that difference between the shooting percentage and the on goal percentage. But then another uh, aspect that goes into the threat score specifically are the game number of game winning goals, number of man up goals and then the number of man down goals that a player scores because obviously you got a lot of guys that are going to score points within the six on six offense, but guys that are scoring points on man up specifically guys that are scoring points, you know, game winners and things like that. That means when the game is on the line, that's these are the guys that you don't want to have the ball. A guy like Chris Lyons for Yale put up five game winners. A guy like CJ curse from Cornell four game winners or eventual game winners as they'd be known. So that that factor. So I, I have these weighted into that, and that comes up with like a miscellaneous score that I can work in and weight. Uh, then we have the clutch. And uh, I honestly forget what the hell I'm doing with that clutch score. I think the clutch score is actually tied into these three metrics here, which is the clutch score is really just half of their miscellaneous number. And then we have a utility score at the end of it, or I'm calling it a hustle score, which that factors in how often are they on the field, uh, not by anything other than the statistics. So, you know, like if you're going to score man down goals, that's going to figure in the hustle. Uh, ground balls figure in the hustle. Your 
cause turnovers figure in the hustle, and then all of that ends up getting, you know, then and then the threat number, for instance, gets weighted against your turnovers as well. So this is what I've been working on. Uh, and thus far, if we look at what the hell I've got here, I was very pleased with CJ Kirst being on the top of this list because another part of the threat score that I haven't worked into my metrics yet are how often does that player reach or exceed their points per game because you're going to end up having some guys here and there that end up putting a, a metric crap ton of points up on crappy teams um and that's going to you know and that will be them meeting their their points per game in those situations but are these same guys disappearing against good teams so it, uh, that's not a perfect metric, but I figured that would be a metric that worked well into that threat score is, all right, if you're averaging, like cursed, 5.6 points per game, how often are you hitting that average? And cursed was one of the guys that hit that average more than most when I was looking at the numbers. So once again, not figured into this score yet. Uh, so see, I was pleased with CJ Kirst being at the top, actually, because I felt like he did hit that mark a little bit more than Brennan O'Neill did. So in terms of his threat score being a little bit higher, I thought that was fair. Plus his points per game was a little bit higher. I'm going to also probably consider um, how, as part of that threat score, how often do you hit your average points per game against ranked teams? So it's going to consider multiple things. How often do you hit your points per game compared to how often you don't? How often do you hit your points per game against top 20 teams? Um, so I'll eventually work those metrics into it as well. But right now, it's really just raw data taking uh, you know all of these factors into play, especially these are a little overweighted. So right now, you see a guy like Kirst and Dalto and uh, Brennan O'Neill, who have a lot of game winners and man-up goals. Guys like Kyle Playstead, who maybe shouldn't be this high on the list, although a veteran lacrosse player that put up a boatload of points last year so you can make the argument that he deserves to be in the conversation you got Spelina up here pretty heavily uh thanks to his seven man up goals and just a solid points per game and this is the one that i think people are going to chirp me for now is Kavanaugh's now the things that are dragging Kavanaugh's score down because i know Kavanaugh's a fan favorite from a statistical standpoint though Kavanaugh's never been a huge monster unless he's playing against Syracuse Kavanaugh what you like about him is the swag the team leadership the hustle the the, the grit the willingness to do anything to win so i i understand Kavanaugh shouldn't be at 11th and i think one thing that will end up raising Kavanaugh's numbers a little bit for me here is going to end up being his threat number will go up a little bit once i average in the how often he hits his average points per game against top opponents and then I think being that his average points per game is pretty solid here uh is a little bit lower than some of these other guys average points per games I feel like that hurts him but it'll make it a little bit easier for him to hit that average I think over time so things that's where I'm playing with it here is do I think Pat Kavanaugh should be number 11 no do I want to let the data speak for what this score means Yes. So when I look at this, I wouldn't be mad if he was the 11th or the, the, the 10th ranked guy on this list, I don't, but I don't think that's accurate. So I'm only trying to game the weights that I give everything to the point where it's like, you know what? Listen, I, I'm going to let Chris Lyons live above, above Kavanaugh in this list, even if I might take Kavanaugh over Chris Lyons, which I'm not convinced I would. Like, guys, Chris Lyons is an absolute killer. This dude in his sophomore year came out here and had an absolute monster season for Yale. So you can't front on guys like this. A guy like Scott Cole, a very good attackman. Coulter Mackesy had an incredible season for Princeton, scored a bunch of – let's see here. i got to get across – yeah, had eight man up goals, a man down goal, a game winner. You know, the guy just 
crazy points per game. And then the other thing that drags Kavanaugh down statistically, and this this is where he's probably, even when I weight these, he's probably not going to end up in the top seven, six or seven, is that shooting percentage. You look at his shooting percentage, not only that, you look at his shooting percentage in relation to his on-goal percentage, and I believe he had one of the highest spreads here. You know, Spelina was pretty high up there as well. And Sp- because, you know, a guy like Spelina, as somebody who watched every game Spelina played, he had a tendency to give some goalies some easy saves at times. And you could say that's the, you can make that argument with Kavanaugh as well. So that's another thing that ends up dragging his score down. Uh, one of the other things that makes CJ cursed the number one guy, and no matter how I weight this, I believe CJ cursed is going to end up being the number one guy is when we come down here and we look at the turnovers. I'm a guy that feels like turnovers, especially turnovers over a certain number in relation to the points that you put up, should drastically decrease your overall score, especially if you're a guy that turns the ball over a lot. So you see, somehow, the way I've weighted this, Kyle Playstead, I believe, is the one that had the 58 turnovers. So that's almost where I feel like I'm not necessarily weighting the turnovers enough because I think that he had so many last year that it should probably drag him down that list a little bit more. So I'll play with that. But where a guy like Kirst is just naturally going to not be hurt as badly by the turnovers is he's got 20 turnovers on the season, but he's caused 15 turnovers. Now, I think with guys like Kirst, 20 turnovers is stupid low for a guy like Kirst that's his team's leading scorer that carries the ball as much as him, that relies on dodging to score as much as he does. Kirst relies on dodging to score more than most players that are going to be on this list, even more than a guy like Brennan O'Neill. So I, I, I got to figure out how to weigh them properly, but I think that's going to be a thing because I'm always weighing turnovers against cause turnovers a little bit is how I factor uh, factor this in. So that that plays into their hustle scores here. So, I mean, anybody who wants to pick these apart and say that this is completely stupid, you can. And right now, a lot of these numbers are simply adding up totals and things like that. Some of them, you know, I forget how I did it here. Some of these totals may be adding these up like the the cause turnovers per game and the ground balls per game. Uh, And then it might be, or no, you know what it might be doing? Uh, Adding this, subtracting that, let's say, but then only adding this back in, you know, at half the the rate or something like that. So when you look at it, it isn't rocket science by any means, but the idea being I'm just trying to come up with a decent matrix to just kind of have a, a player profile ranking here. And then I'll do something similar with midfielders. And I'll never put, you know, one of the things that, um, lacrosse reference is an absolute incredible website, but one of the things some of these data these data websites do so far is I forget what their player efficiency score is or whatever their the expected goal score. One of the values that like lacrosse reference has gets screwed up by mixing regular uh, faceoff men into the mix against attackmen. So that's one of the things I'm going to try to do with this is try to keep every position separate because the midfielders, you can't really compare the scores. There's no way to line up what an attackman does with the analytics and then use the exact same matrix to try to line up what a midfielder does because just the the sheer points per game is going to take away from the midfielder score where I feel like that's that might not be fair because like the midfielder's threat score is not going to be as high. Their hustle score probably will be higher but then you get into these matrix here, which I'm weighing pretty heavily for the attackman because it matters. You know, if you're an attackman and you're not scoring man up goals, you're never scoring game winning goals, then you should not, you know, th- those points 
are very important in a game, and those points should be very important to what goes into an attackman score. Uh, and they will midfielders too, but like other other aspects need to be weighted differently for the midfielders. So I'm going to take all of those things into consideration, and we'll probably just break it down uh, by attack, midfielders, defenders, and we might even bunch the short sticks in with the defenders. Um, but we'll see how that goes, and then you're going to have goalkeepers. Uh, and face-off guys, the face-off guys that you're going to live and die by your percentage, but I probably will weigh turnovers uh, against that face-off score to try to you know come up with a figure here. I know lacrosse analytics or lacrosse reference, whatever they are, they, they're going to do a superior job here, but I need my own data, uh, and I kind of need my own thing. So this is the crap that I've been working on. I finally got this dialed into a point where I was at least happy with the rankings. And if we kind of go through here now, let's just see what we have. Cursed at the top, I think that makes complete sense. Uh, Vince Dalto, uh, Boston University guy, uh, being second. If you don't know who Dalto is, I don't know that he should be second over O'Neill. And this is one of those things where I, should I manipulate the numbers to the point that O'Neill is number two because obviously he's the best attackman overall in the country. I'd still weigh O'Neill if I was trying to pick teams. I'm putting O'Neill number one, so I'm just trying to make sure, though, that I'm using the data because any any asshole can sit here and look at it and be like, well, listen, it's okay that O'Neill is third on this list, even though that's not accurate. It just kind of gives you a gauge as to what do the statistics say, but then you still have to weigh in the factor of what the player says. Now, one thing that I was thinking about doing was uh, I have a legend score here, and what I was planning on doing with the legend score was figuring out a way to reward players that that seasons prior had e- almost equaled. Like I'm trying to figure out a, a, a number that I can say, Hey, let's, let's re- uh, reward O'Neill for being an all American X amount number of times. Let's reward cursed for something similar. Um, but then I was starting to maybe think that legend score should be played into how did you play against the best competition that year prior? So I'm I'm between that, but I might work in some accolades and say, Hey, listen, Brennan O'Neill was the Twarton winner. Maybe he gets a half a point or something like that added to a score for being a first-team All-American for being. Because, let's see here, data guys would say that's dumb. You can't start taking that those types of things into consideration and then, then make them part of a statistical analysis. My argument to that would be, well, you're taking what media members or what coaches, depending on which polls you're looking at, like the, that are you know voting for the All-Americans, and you're saying, all right, well, listen, the consensus is that this guy is that good, so maybe that should be factored in. Because you know you could, you could factor that in a little bit easier than you might be able to factor in strength of schedule. So that legend number, you know, I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do with it? Is that going to be, is that going to weigh the player's average scoring and how often they hit it against their strength of schedule? Should that maybe play into some individual accolades? Because when that player takes the field, the fact that he's a three-time All-American and the Twarton winner is going to play in the defender's head anyway. So the legend score is more of like a, all right, when all else, when everything else is said and done and the data's plugged in, what's different about Brennan O'Neill than Vince Dalto and who are you going to take first? You're going to take Brennan O'Neill. So I don't want to weigh that to the point that that just automatically makes Brennan O'Neill come to the top of that list, but I feel like I'm missing one metric here that doesn't quite tell the whole picture, and that legend score is the score that I'm going to – and I'm going to make it objective in the sense that it's going to have a clearly defined method for for coming together, um, but that's, that's kind of how I'm going to try to shore this up the rest of the way. That'll probably get Pat Kavanaugh um, – 
bumped a little bit. I was also thinking about hitting your average. Did your team make the playoffs? And then how often did you hit your scoring average in the playoffs? Kavanaugh this season would be hurt by that because of his injury uh, and his point output uh, that last game of the play, uh, the, the championship game. But he also won the championship. You know, he was on the team that won the championship as that team's best player. So, well, you can make the argument. Uh, Entman was their best player that year. But anyway, that's what I've been working on. The last two weekends where I was like, I'm going to put a podcast out. I was like, man, I don't really have anything to talk about. So I And I wanted to focus on this. So I've been putting my Sunday mornings the last couple of weekends into playing around with these numbers and trying to figure it out. Then I'm going to fill this list out, probably come up with a top 30. Uh, I'll do a podcast talking about that. And then we're going to move on to the midfielders, so on and so forth. So that's it. Pretty boring podcast here, but I'm going to, you know, I didn't, I literally wrote none of this. This was all me just shooting from the hip, trying to just get back on the mic and get back in the routine of uh, talking into this mic about lacrosse with you all. So that is all. My plan is to be back next week. And actually, I want to unveil these scores next week uh, in their final form. I'll probably, you know, come out with like a top 25. I'm going to have everybody in here, but I'll probably go through and profile the top 25. Uh, with graphics and videos and all that stuff. It'll be a bigger production, but that's what I'm going to try to work on from between now and January. And then when January hits, we'll start getting into previews and crap like that. And uh, we, then February hits and we got games and all sorts of shit. So it's going to be fun. So, hey, I am sorry. I have not been consistent. I'm sorry I told you after my first episode this season that I was going to come right back and we're going to be doing a metric shit ton of episodes after that. It's just a matter of trying to figure out what to talk about. And I don't want to just come out here and you know ramble like I did today. I don't want to do that regularly, although I felt the need to do that today. So that's all. Come back next weekend, though. We're going to unveil these officially. I'm going to actually put them up on the website with the scores and everything like that. And um, yeah, so come back next week. I will have an episode out going through all of these with some highlights and some things of that sort. And we'll just keep plugging forward. And also, if anybody has any ideas, you know, if anyone, as you're looking at this and listening to this, if anybody has any other ideas of, hey, here are some metrics that we think you should consider that might help shore some of these scores up. Like I said, I'm not mad at like this order right here. I'm not mad that Scott Cole, a dude that scored seven game winning goals, three man up goals, you know, like I'm not mad that a guy like that put up a bunch of points um, at the division one level and is right now sitting at number four here. I mean, Scott Cole's a veteran lacrosse player, a very good attackman. I'm not mad that Coulter Maxey is up here as well. I mean, the dude, if anybody, if you watched Princeton, he was an absolute killer. I think the dude had like six or seven goal game, you know, like in uh, the uh, the Ivy League tournament, the dude had tore it up. So these dudes are all ballers, uh, but I do think that it, we just need a little bit of tweaking. I would like to see Kavanaugh maybe up a spot. I'd like to see a guy like Playstead down a spot or two because of the number of turnovers that he had, uh, even though I know that doesn't tell the whole story here. A guy like Connor Schellenberger here, uh, hurt by the no, the three, yeah, hurt by his threat score overall, um, and it just comes down to the 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 lack of utility in this region here is what got him. He just didn't factor as heavily. But should a guy like Connor Schellenberger be sitting at, at at number fifteen? Some of you are going to say yes. The guys who like to shit on Connor Schellenberger are going to say absolutely. Con- Connor Schellenberger should be that far down the list because he gets shit on for not coming to play and putting up his average point total game in and game out. So that would be the knock against Schellenberger. But that dude also averaged 5.25 points per game, shot the rock at a 34, 34.5% clip, you know, did not turn the ball over a ton. 
but then again, he also didn't force a bunch of turnovers. So I, th these are the things I'm trying to work out. So Schellenberger should absolutely be higher. But once again, this isn't to try to say this is ranking how good the, the player is. I mean, Schellenberger is one of the best in the game, absolutely. But this is just to try to kind of look at, hey, what did that player do last season? And then how does that play into their statistics? I think I, think I do have to start weighing strength of schedule pretty heavily though because i think that this is these guys here pat cavanaugh connor schellenberger i think they should be higher up the list so that's where that legend score is going to come into play so moral of the story give me some ideas on how to fill out that legend score so that we can reward the guys that are playing the toughest schedules in the biggest conferences maybe they aren't quite hitting their average points per game because the the competition is nasty week in and week out especially once they get into their conference play but you know help me out Help me out, people. So that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up. Come back next week. We'll go through these numbers. I should hopefully by that point have this sorted out so that Schellenberger should probably be a top 11 guy. Kavanaugh should probably be a top 10, top 8 guy. Um, so I'll have it all weighted, and that's what. And then whatever I come up with, I'm just going to run with it through this first season, and we'll simply – I probably won't even adjust it through the first season, and we'll let it ride, and then getting a whole – additional season of stats under my belt with that, that we can kind of see, Hey, coming into the season, where did these guys rank? Uh, and then we'll compare that at the end of the season, out of the season, where do they rank now? So we'll see how accurate it was. And over time I'll adjust it, but we're going to call these probably because the name fits. It'll probably be a play. We'll ca I'll call it the players lax factor um, score or lax factor ranking or rating or lax factor rating, something like that. You guys can give me ideas about that as well. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Come back. Um, next week, same time, uh, go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. You can get swag and all that shit. And, uh, that's it. Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.